0: Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. We know that God has compassion for us because He sent His Son from heaven all the way to earth to save you and me. The question is, do we have the same kind of compassion? Does our heart beat, love-dub, love-dub with the compassion of God for His children? Who are half a world away. I'm Pastor Tim. Welcome to Love Dub, echoing the heartbeat of God. All right, well, great to be back with you guys here in the States. This is week two of our new global series, Love Dub. And being in Africa was great, but being home in New Jersey, even better. Well, maybe not better, but certainly. Different. Got to be honest, uh, just before we left uh, Ethiopia, the day before, we were in a northern village in Ethiopia. Mud huts, no water, no electricity. And then the day after we landed at JFK, we had to go out and pick some stuff up at Pottery Barn in the Short Hills Mall. And it was like, like culture collision head on. And I mean, it has been an adjustment to say the least. Probably the biggest adjustment for me has been this thing. Yeah, Diet Coke. Haven't had one since I've been back actually from Africa. And that's because we are fasting. I've got the jitters, I've got the headaches going through that whole thing. But I haven't cra- cracked one open. I'm kind of going through withdrawal. And the reason for that is some of you are going through the same thing as we take the liquid challenge together over the next three weeks. And this is kind of neat because if you are just joining us, you can reach under your seat and you'll see there's a bottle. Looks like this. Go ahead, pull it out, pull it out. All of our campuses. Unpop the top, take a chug. Well, this one actually is empty because this is the one I'm using. What we're doing is we're saving the money that we would normally spend on the stuff that we drink every day, on the Starbucks, on the vitamin water, on the sports drinks, the Gatorade, Red Bull, whatever it is, and we're pulling that together so we can build more freshwater wells for the poorest of the poor in Africa. We're calling it the liquid challenge, and last week I showed you what a difference those 20 wells are making life-changing stuff. And what we're hoping is that through our collective sacrifice this spring, by God's grace, we'll be able to do even more. Because we want to do more. That is literally our heart. And uh, I have to say, at each village, um, I was amazed because our Brothers and sisters in Africa, they wanted to know what we were doing, and so they asked me, would I explain what our church is doing? And when I did, our brothers and sisters in Africa were excited, to say the least. Hey guys, my name is Tim. I'm a pastor at a church in America called Liquid Church, and we are here to bring you clean water in the name of Jesus Christ. We consider you guys our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's our heart. And what we want to do is bless you guys with clean water. We know that's a big issue. And what we're going to be doing, actually, this spring, is we're going to be fasting. I know some of you, you guys told me that you're fasting right now before Easter. No no food. Well, it's a little bit of food, but actually fasting in preparation for Jesus' resurrection. Now, the neat thing is this spring, our church is going to fast. We're going to give up our coffee drinking, our tea, our Coca-Cola, ugh, no Starbucks, uh, and actually wine, all that stuff. And we're going to save money from that, put it in these bottles. And you can see on the front, it says, Love, drink water, save lives, so that we can drill even more wells here in northern Ethiopia. These are jerry cans. You guys probably remember these. They're called jerry cans actually after uh, the Germans who actually introduced them to Africa during World War II. They're used now and mass-produced. They're used to carry water. But a lot of the people in this village typically would have to walk three, four hours a day, the women, the children, and it would eliminate them from working or going to school. The worst part is, they'd bring it back full of muddy water, which would make them sick. But now, they can serve a whole village. I don't even know if I can lift this thing up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And they're able to bring what? Clean, fresh water. That actually doesn't make anybody sick. And now, women are able to work, children are able to go to school, and the ripple effects of poverty are going into the past. Awesome job, guys. That's living water for a thirsty world. We're really blessed to be with you guys. I send greetings from America, especially in the name of Jesus Christ, whose faith we share. But we love you guys, and we're so thankful for the privilege of serving you together. Hey. So what are you willing to give up? to give up and save on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Africa. Personally speaking, in a week's time, I've literally saved about $25. That tells you about how much Diet Coke I drink. I actually am actually feeling a little lighter, a little healthier. And uh, I had no idea it would mount up so quickly, because it's not just Diet Coke. I usually get a coffee in the morning, Diet Coke at lunch, maybe, you know, mid-afternoon, noon, cappuccino kind of thing. And I've saved up about literally $25, $27 so far. And this is really a great way to get your whole family involved. In fact, to me, I'm most excited about our kids. (coughs) This is my little girl, Chasey's bottle. Chasey is, um, she's fasting uh, from her sunny delight and her juicy juice. And that's a big deal, okay? Don't laugh. That's a big deal. And she is fasting and saving. And so the idea is, parents, get your kids involved as well, okay? Together, we're going to be pooling our resources and seeing how many wells we can dig again this year to expand God's love in Ethiopia. And uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but you can, this is kind of funny, I'm sorry, we didn't really plan this too well, but you can fit in here, you can fit in pennies, nickels and dimes, but you notice about the quarters, you can't fit them. So the deal is you have to round up, okay? We're taking cash, and you can put that in there. In fact, if you wanted, you lazy people, just write, you want to just write a check and stick it in, that's fine too. Whatever it is you want to do, and the idea here, by the way, is that each well that we drill, it's amazing. It's a pittance to us. It costs $5,000, and what that well does, it literally serves a village of 400 people for 20 years, I mean, that's mind-boggling to me. $20 equals 20 years of clean water for one child in Ethiopia. That's, that's mind-boggling, and so the cool part of it is we fund it, they dig it. Take a look at this. These are the villagers who are actually digging the well themselves, and we literally hand it over to them. It is one, it, one of the big focuses of our projects is the sustainability of it. It's not like we come in white night and we give them this gift, and then whatever happens. There's a whole education process, and each local village forms a water committee. Um, this is an example of a water committee who are trained with sanitation and hygiene education for the village, and they assume responsibility for the well and its ongoing maintenance, its repair, its care, and they actually educate the entire village about hand washing and sanitation, and the sustainability really is handed over to the villagers. So it's a comprehensive project, and what we're doing is we're going to take our cash, all of our change, and checks for three weeks, and when the bottle gets filled up, what we want you to simply do is bring it back to church. What you're going to do is take your bottle, and you notice all of our campuses, we have these giant liquid water bottles, and when it's full, simply swap it out. Put your bottle back on the giant bottle, you take another one, you can start filling that up, and we're going to do this for three weeks and see what God's going to do over the next year. That's the idea, guys, and uh, I am really excited because we want to do more. I mean, clean water is such a systemic issue in the developing world, and it, it lies at the root of poverty, and it's amazing to me because it's like something like it's co- so common to all of us. We just flip on the water. It makes a massive difference in the lives of the poorest of the poor there, literally life changing for them and for us. Literally. I thought about that, and I'm like, talk about who, I don't know whose life has changed more. Last week, you know that our fast has been inspired by Isaiah chapter 58. That's a prophetic passage in which God kind of rebukes his people for just kind of going through the motions of church and kind of missing the heart and the compassion of God's character. And the Israelites were praying and they were fasting and they were wondering, how come God doesn't respond to us? And it's amazing because God says this through the prophet Isaiah. He says, Uh, Let's see, I'm starting on verse six here. Is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? He's like, I'm not just interested in you giving up your, 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 your food and your water. Would you give up and sacrifice to break into this world a sense of justice that comes out of the kingdom of God. Here's what he says, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not turn away from who? Your own flesh and blood. In other words, the spiritual sacrifices that we make must serve a larger purpose than just getting God to do what we want. That's why they were fasting. They were like, God, we want you to do some stuff for us. That's how our prayers usually go. God, would you get in on what I'm doing? And God's like, no, you get in on what I'm doing. And here's what I'm doing. I am helping the poor and the widow and the orphan across the world. And when you echo my heartbeat, then you got my ears. Wow, powerful stuff. It's amazing. But uh, when we sacrifice for the poor, when we feed the hungry, when we clothe the naked, when we give water to the thirsty, (sighs) boom, boom. Lub dub, lub dub. Our heart begins beating in rhythm with the heart of God Himself. And we're let in on the kingdom. You guys know what happens when our heart starts beating like God's? This is amazing. You come alive, you prosper in a new way. Isaiah says this, verse 8: He says, Then your light will what? Break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I love that last image Isaiah has there. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You want the translation? I got your back. God's like, when you prioritize the poor, I prioritize you. You watch out for them, I got your back. I will be your rear guard. I am behind you as you go before me. As they become your priority, you become my priority. I'll be honest, in the midst of our current recession, that sounds like a pretty good deal. <laughs> it really does. I mean, who you want to bet on? It's counterintuitive though, isn't it? Only as we give ourselves away do we find treasure that lasts. Only by spending ourselves do we find true meaning. Isaiah actually finishes in verse 10. He says, if you spend yourselves in the behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed... Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will what? Guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. And you will be like a well-watered garden. I love this. Like a what? Like a, let's read it together. A spring whose waters never fail. It's beautiful. And it's a promise. It's prophecy in the Old Testament. And that's honestly... That's why we're fasting. We are taking God at his word, and we're saying as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, the actual living water, we want a heart that beats like his. That's why we're fasting. That's all that is. We want the heartbeat of God. We want to overflow with the love of God into a thirsty world. And fasting, honestly, sacrificing something simple like the liquids that we drink— to serve the poorest of the poor in Africa, it's a, it's a promise guaranteed way to draw close to the heart of God. Some people say, I feel so distant from God. I don't know. My prayers bounce off the ceiling. My, my, my fasting, I'm trying all this stuff to draw close. How about just serving the poor? How about drawing close to the poor? Because then you're drawing close to God himself. Jesus Christ says, in the poor, I am in the midst of them. That's the liquid challenge. Inspired by Isaiah 58, we are declaring a true fast on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Ethiopia. I am excited by this, guys, and if you have your bottle reminder to you, you can just put your finished one, here's Chase's, or this is mine, the one full of cash, put it on here and just take another one. These are out in the lobby at all of our campuses. And the cool part is this, guys, you heard this, 100 Percent of what our church gives to charity water goes directly to fund freshwater wells. 100%. That is an incredible model because we didn't want to deal with overhead. We didn't deal with administrative costs. We're like, we want it, literally. God's love to flow across the world and 100% of it to go. That is the coolest thing. Can we hear it for those guys? They do an amazing, amazing job. All right, check it out. That is the Old Testament practice of fasting that allows us to draw close to the heart of God. But today, I want to introduce you to a second practice um, and introduce you to this. It's called gleaning. How many of you have actually heard the word glean before? You you know how to glean or gleaning something? Okay, a few of you. Um, It's kind of an ancient, obscure Old Testament practice, quite honestly. And unless you're a farmer, you may not be like too familiar with it. In fact, if you're like me, I'll just be candid with you. At times, the Bible sometimes seems totally obscure and irrelevant i mean just totally be honest i mean a pastor a theology i've studied all of it but at times there's passages that make you go huh uh, especially in the old testament perfectly honest how many of you have ever read through leviticus the book of leviticus Anybody? Okay, yeah, two of you. All right. Deuteronomy, anybody? It's hard. A lot of people are like, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And all of a sudden you get to Leviticus and you're like, maybe next year. <laughs> it's weird because it's full of commands and rules that seem strange or bizarre to us. I opened my Bible, I remember one morning, uh, to one of those books. And that morning I was playing Bible roulette. Have you ever played this? I don't really know like what to do this morning. So Lord, I need to hear from you. Just give me a fresh word. And I remember opening my Bible and I'm like, uh, Deuteronomy 14:21. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Okay, thank you, God. <laughs> I'm going to work really hard to avoid that today. Like, it just doesn't seem relevant or that, you know, it applies or something. It's one of those things that make you go, hmm, you know? I actually remember, you know, some people are like, what's your life verse? For a while, I, remember, I would actually sign my name, Tim Lucas, Deuteronomy 14:21. Now, nobody actually looks it up, but don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. I'm like, wow, thanks, God. Just strange stuff, but here's what happened while I was in Africa. This is what's incredible. So much of the Bible that seemed formerly weird to me started to click it literally started to come alive because suddenly, Colleen and I were thrust into this first century primitive culture with shepherds. These are shepherd boys who are tending their flocks, farmers plowing fields, and all of a sudden, all the stuff that the Bible talks about, Jesus is like, there's a guy tending his sheep and he's got 99 and one goes off and they go after him. I'm like, shepherds. And it's like, and there's a man plowing a field and he found it and I was like, they're plowing right here and he meets a woman at the well and he's talking with her and she's drawing water. I'm like, what the what's going on even you know stoning the adulteress this was kind of weird but we we're pulling out one of the villages this is a little disturbing these were the kindest most humble people you'll ever meet but when we were in our land cruiser kind of pulling out of this one village of kids you know just playful they're running up to the land cruiser just tapping on it with sticks just to kind of like say hey 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 and our driver who is a kind of a native to one of the villages gets out and starts throwing rocks at them start doo, doo, hitting the kids in the back with the rocks and i was just like oh oh okay you know actually colleen was freaking out just like don't say anything just chill out. I'm sure there's a Dyfus uh, organization here. Not really, but it's part of the culture. That's part of kind of their discipline. They didn't actually stone the kids. And now, now you're like, I ain't giving anything. Well, I'm serious. It was bizarre. But all of a sudden, this whole idea of like stoning in Old Testament. It's like, that's what Jesus was born into. Literally, when Jesus is telling a parable, all of a sudden it starts making sense. Because when he says, I want you to, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to give a cup of cold water, and when you do to the poorest and the least of these, it's like you're doing it to me. All of a sudden I realized Jesus was just looking around, describing what he saw. He was born into straw poverty. There was no room at the inn, so he slept with the animals. Yeah. In fact, it made me think about this famous parable about how we treat the poor as being the distinguishing line between authentic believers and spiritual posers, and he says it's like separating the what? The sheep and the goats. And I'm like, I see this kid, he's got a staff, and he's just like, no, 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 go ahead. He's separating the sheep out of the goats, and it's literally, the Bible clicked, and it came alive. Even Old Testament stuff started making sense. Stuff that never had any relevance. Weird dietary laws, rules about hand washing, washing your hands, hygiene, big deal. Instructions about how to harvest a field. Why? It is important to glean. All of a sudden, connected the dots, and I realized. This has been about the heartbeat of God since the beginning of the story. Since the beginning of time. It has been about God's compassion for those on your fringe. Take out your Bible, would you? I want to show you what I'm talking about. All of our campuses, I want to show you. Hold on your Bible. I want to show this to you with a little help from our friends half a world away. In the Old Testament, it's interesting. There's a lot of talk about Harvesting and farming and gleaning, quite honestly, we don't relate in the 21st century. I mean, New York City, who's got a field? Well, it's relevant right here in northern Ethiopia, where 85% of the country is agrarian. So, as for instance, my friend here who's harvesting his field with his oxen. And we kind of say, what in the world does that have to do with us in the 21st century in New York City or Melbourne, Australia? Well, today you're going to see... How the story of God intersects a continent away. Everybody, turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19. We're going old school, Old Testament to find out what relevance farming and harvesting and gleaning, all these obscure Old Testament laws and commands by God have for us today in the 21st century. I mean, what does New York City have to do with northern, northern Ethiopia? Check this out. Leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 through 10 say this. God says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. So in other words, God gave the command early on to his people in the Old Testament and said, When you're harvesting your field, I want you to leave some of it on the fringe. Why? Look at verse 10. Do not go over the vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God, And what you see here is God prioritizing. You see his heartbeat going, lub-dub, love, lub-dub, lub-dub. His compassion, his outrageous generosity coming through. Because he's instructing everybody who reaps a harvest. That is, whatever you sow. For us, you know, we have regular jobs. But here, 85% agrarian culture in Ethiopia. Whatever comes up out of the ground, that's God's gift to us out of his hand. But he says, now I want you to be generous. Because I've been generous to you. So leave at the edges of your field in abundance. Leave stalks, leave grapes, leave things for the poor and the alien. In Old Testament times, the poor would be the widows and the orphans. Widows were really had no husband and orphans were the fatherless. And so they had no uh, economic power whatsoever. And they had to depend on the generosity and charity and kindness of God's people to provide for them. In Old Testament times, when people harvested their field, they typically used a team of oxen. You can see from these guys here, they actually have right over their uh, necks here, this is called a yoke. And a lot of times you'll see in the Bible, it talks about, for instance, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He said, in other words, follow me, and actually I won't put anything ill-fitting or heavy on you. But here in the fields in Africa, this is actually Africa, this is not New Jersey. I know it looks like Hoboken, but check this out. This is how you plow a field. You begin getting these guys... Okay, there we go, here we go, we're coming right at you. I'm here in my backyard in New Jersey, and I am, um, whoa, giving a little crack of the whip, mowing the back 40. And uh, this is how you plow a field, it comes natural to those of us native to New Jersey. Whoa, gee, I think I hit myself. Okay, hold, stop, pause, We hit the pause button. I learned this back in high school, and uh, I just feel like Indiana Jones, good times, ha, and when you you plow the field, you kind of let the oxen do the work, they use the yoke, and the team of them, the two of them together, we're we're going a little left here, we're bearing left, you can take a look, the yoke is attached to a plow, and that's actually a blade, it's made out of wood and hammered steel, and it burrows into the ground, and the animals kind of drag it, and it creates this nice, smooth, you can see kind of burrow where you plant seeds. That's where they plant their wheat and their barley. And God said, when it comes up in the springtime, I want you to leave some on the edges for the poorest of the poor, those who have nothing. And that's what we're going to do. Here we go. A little, little bump of the rump. Uh, please don't call PETA. Okay, right there, slow. You just kind of let them do it. Kind of do the work. We just kind of let them go. And uh, now the children are laughing at me. They're laughing with me, not at me. You just kind of, we'll go this way. Here we go. <laughs> is everybody you doing this? How's this? Hoo-ah. And that's how you harvest the field. That's how you plow it. What, you guys, you guys thought all I'd do is preach? Oh, I I plow, too. Hey, hey, these are my boys. This is Bo and this is Luke. (laughs) The Duke boys. But these are the guys who do all the work to harvest the field. It's up to us to leave the gleanings. That's what gleanings all about. (laughs) Gleaning may seem like an Old Testament kind of old school custom that has no relevance today, but we live in a land of huge abundance in America. In Africa, they work for it, blood, sweat, and tears. The question is this. Would we be willing to give out of our abundance to those who are on the fringe, to those who have nothing, the poorest of the poor, the degree to which we love God is defined by the degree to which we'll sacrifice for the poorest of the poor, those who are closest to his heart. Love, dub, love, dub. That's what God's doing here. And it's amazing because he's saying, I've provided for you a whole field, a vineyard in abundance. And I'm asking you, would you be generous? Echo my heart, lub-dub, lub-dub, and leave on the edges of the fringe for those who have nothing. As you care for the poorest of the poor, so I care for you. That's what gleaning's all about. Let me assure you, no animals were harmed in the making of that video. Of course, I was, uh, but the whip scar on my left ear is healing nicely. I think you can, can see it here. But do you get the point about gleaning? You, again, it doesn't automatically click with us because we're not farmers. My guess is you didn't spend this weekend, uh, you know, plowing the back 40 here, okay? But the reality is this. Gleaning was God's way of training those who were blessed with an abundant harvest. Those of us with big fields to provide for those on the fringe who had nothing. Think of it this way. little illustration. Let me go old school. Forget the PowerPoint. Let me draw this out for you. Every field in the developing world is typically drawn In a square, it's pretty simple. That's your field. But the way it gets harvested is actually the oxen go in a circle like this, and they harvest the thing. They actually harvest all of it. And God's like this. I want you to leave whatever is on the corners, what you didn't get on the first path through. I want you to leave all of this for the poor, the widows, and the orphans. Whatever is on the fringe of your abundance, that is for them. I'm giving you all of this, but what's on the edges of your harvest, give to the poor. Give to the most vulnerable. Leave it for them, because that's how I, God, am going to provide for them, through you. That's what gleaning is all about. That's the meaning of gleaning, okay? He's like, I've given you a big field, but you aren't assuming it's all for yourself, are you? (laughs) Literally, he repeats the command in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. God says, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for our who? The alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. It's literally a beautiful picture, because it's God's way of training us. He was teaching His people to reflect the generosity and compassion of His heart towards people who were on the what? On the what? On the fringe. That's what the meaning of gleaning, to extend mercy to people who are living on the edges. Of society. In fact, later on in the Old Testament, check this out, in the book of Ruth, you don't have to turn there, I'll just show this to you, we see two vulnerable and very important women, Ruth and Naomi, who benefited from this merciful law of God. It says this in Ruth 2.2, it says, Ruth said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So she went out and began to what? To glean in the fields behind the harvesters, As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz and the rest is history. Because this law was followed, Ruth, who literally was a descendant in the lineage of Jesus Christ, actually was one of his forebearers, she was able to find food and live. We may be tempted to dismiss Leviticus and Deuteronomy and say, that's weird, that's bizarre, that's strange, that doesn't apply to me, but nothing could be further to the truth. Most of these ancient practices were all about revealing critical insights into the very character of God himself. So much of this is about his heart. It's about the meaning of gleaning. Lub-dub, lub-dub. When you receive from me, do you see the fringe as what you can give? 21st 21st century, what's our application? When we give freely to the fringe out of our abundance, dum-dum, it's like a heart shocked back into God's heartbeat. That's, folks, how do I put this? Why God has given some of you a huge harvest. That's why he has blessed so many of us abundantly, extravagantly. In fact, we all have a huge harvest, don't we, compared to the rest of the world? I want you to think about this. Um, It's funny, when we got back from Africa, we began showing my kids, you know, some of the pictures and everything— and yeah, my eldest girl, Chase, she started looking at the pictures and she stared at them very intently because her mind, I could just see her little gears going. She's like trying to grind this out and process it. Like they live in huts, like there's no toilet, there's no, you know, care bears, there's none of that stuff. I was like, no. And she's like, and they sleep with the animals? Like I sleep with Percy, our dog is like, not quite. You know, you, know, you got a cow, you don't want them to roll over on you. She's never seen poverty like this. And as I was, I was, I was putting away the pictures, she just kept looking down and she said, daddy, Are we rich? as a parent, you have those those moments. I'm literally putting away my stuff. And I said, yeah. I said, yes, sweetheart. We are rich. We are very rich. She looked down again. and, And I get this, guys. It may not feel like that living in New Jersey. But compared to the rest of the world, it's all relative. You guys know this. But she wasn't convinced. So she actually said, how come so-and-so has a bigger house than we do? You know, I was like, oh, great, this is raising a kid in New Jersey. And I looked at her, and I, and I thought, you've been talking to your mother, haven't you? And I didn't say it, I didn't say it, I kept it to myself. So I said, you know what, let me show you something. I opened my laptop, and I took her to a fun website that's called List. Have you seen this? Check this thing out. It says, how rich are you? This is actually a ton of fun. Gives an amazing perspective on our position in the world. A buddy of mine sent me this lick. It says this, how rich are you? Every year we gain envious, gaze enviously at the lists of the richest people in the world, wondering what it would be like to have that sort of cash. But where would you sit on one of those lists? Here's your chance to find out. And what you see, it says here, just enter your annual income into the box below and hit show me the money. Very Jerry Maguire, right? My annual income, look, you can put it in pounds, you can put it in U.S. dollars, yen, since China owns us, uh, euro, whatever you want. But literally, I was like, let's do this in dollars. And so I was like, well, let's think about this. I said, Chasey, the average New Jersey household income is, do you know, sweetheart? And and she didn't know. And I was like, well, actually, I don't know either. So we looked it up online. It's $50,000. So if you live in New Jersey, the average household income combined is $50,000. And I want you to think about this. How rich are you? If you're just average in New Jersey... Watch this. Show me the money. You are in the top 0.98% richest people in the entire world. That is out of 6 billion people global population. Congratulations. I know you're average, you're scraping by here. We're in the top 1% of the population of the entire world. It's an incredible thing. Because I was like, that, that's, just, that's just average if you had you know, two salaries of $25,000. What happens is this just continues to go from here. I'm like, well, some of you are a little bit above average. So what if you were in, let's say, $75,000? And you notice it just continues. You jump up $10 million to 49,322,169th dollars richest person in the entire world. Congratulations. Some of you didn't know that. That's who you are, okay? And now... For you heavy hitters, because there are some of you here, maybe you are in six digits. You've actually, wow, you've, you've, you've achieved a lot. Um, here's a cool thing about that. If you are in $100,000, you are in the top two-thirds of 1% richest people in the universe. That's, that's incredible when you look at that. You've, you've, you've bumped up significantly. And again, here's the deal, guys. This isn't to make anyone feel bad. <laughs> this is not to be about feeling guilty for actually being successful or prospering financially not at all good for you god has blessed you out of his abundance with a huge harvest that's the point this simply frames our perspective right i mean 3 billion people actually live on 2 dollars a day or less we're talking like an average uh, annual income of like 400 bucks a year that's that's what the majority of the world has it's not about success it's about just survival okay and, um, and, and, and I was like, well, let me think about this. Do you guys remember during the debates? Because I was like, we had this conversation nationally as a country. What really is rich in America? And if you remember during the debates, Obama and McCain were asked, what's really rich? And Obama, if you remember, does anyone remember the number he said? He said, actually, he said, I think if you make $250,000, you're doing pretty good. He said, that's kind of the line of demarcation in America between the rich and kind of the average. If your household income is $250,000 annually... Congratulations, out of six billion people, you are the 107th richest person in the galaxy. I love this because, as Americans, and again, this is not to flagellate ourselves, this is just as a perspective, catch this. We only feel rich if we're in the 0.001% richest people in the whole world. Then we can maybe acknowledge okay, I may have a little. I'm just saying, it's very telling and it's crazy, but check this out when you get a chance, globalrichlist.com, I see some of you are probably going to already do this on your, on your PDAs right now, you're like, this is not true, anyway, I show this to my little girl and she got the point and I felt kind of satisfied, but then she hits me with this, boom, this follow-up question I wasn't expecting, she goes like this, she says, well, daddy, why? Why are we rich? And um, honestly, it caught me off guard. I didn't know what to say. I mean, when you consider the abundance God has blessed us with materially, it's like, well, what is the point? Why are we rich? I mean, everybody knows this. Where you live should not determine whether you live, but it does. It just does. This is just facts of of life. And again, you don't have to feel guilty or ashamed that you have been blessed in comparison to the rest of the world. Unless that is, you're assuming all of that abundance is to fulfill your dream. We call it the American dream, but the American dream can sometimes be mistaken for God's dream, and you know what? They're actually two different things. While in Africa, I was doing some background reading, and uh, I came across the writing of Archbishop Desmond Tutu. You may remember Tutu from the 80s. He's a South African cleric who rose to worldwide fame as an opponent of apartheid. And he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984. And I, I read this message that he, he delivered that was called God Has a Dream. And it's fascinating. Because we talk about the American dream and usually that has to do with kind of the accumulation of wealth and then you, know, you get an education and then you, you, know, you buy a house and then you invest and then you kind of, it's upward mobility. That's the American dream. But in contrast... To the American dream, did you know that God actually has a dream himself? God has his own dream about our relative affluence. When my little girl Chase asked me the question, Daddy, why are we rich? I scrambled for my journal because I had written down Tutu's words. I copied this down in, his, in my journal. It's in God Has a Dream, here's what he wrote. He said, you are rich so that you can make up for what is lacking for others. And you are powerful so that you can help the weak just as a mother or father helps their children. This is God's dream. In this nation, we are the most powerful and privileged people to ever walk the face of the earth in the history of civilization, in our country. And I understand. I understand everything that's going on with the economy. It's tanking, all the bailouts. China owns us. I get it. I get it. But do you understand what I'm talking about? Perspective. God's perspective. He's looking down. We're looking down like this, but he's looking down on us. And the point is this. When God pours out his abundance on a person, on a people at large, he doesn't want us to feel bad about it. He's not asking you to wring your hands and feel guilty. Why do I have all this and they don't have anything? Or to be apathetic. <laughs> Boy, it sucks to be them. I'm just glad capitalism. Guilt or apathy are totally false feelings from God. They're not from God. They're totally false feelings. <laughs> Literally. Because it means we're missing the larger purpose of God for our prosperity. Rather, he says, I am blessing you so that you can be a blessing to them. To those who are where? On the fringe. That's the meaning of gleaning. Chasey, my little girl. You didn't know this. This is why we are rich. We are rich so you can make up for what is lacking for others. And we are powerful so that we can help the weak just as a mother or father helps their children. That's your God's dream. Out of his abundance, Christ, he who was rich, became what? Became poor for our sake, for our freedom, for our life. Pick up your cross, follow me, he says. It can be different. The kingdom of of man doesn't have to be the final thing. It can be the kingdom of God. We can be a part of it. Because God wants us to share his heart. Lub-dub, lub-dub. That's how your recovery will come when you echo my heartbeat. That's the meaning of gleaning. I'm sorry I get emotional because right now I feel like God has been opening up my eyes in a new way to the scriptures. Even the Old Testament is starting to click for me and make sense that this has been about God's heart from the beginning of time. It is literally his heart. From the opening pages of Genesis, God's like, I want to handpick people to bless them beyond their wildest dreams, and I want to give them one mandate. Use your blessing to bless all nations. Bless other people. He told Abraham, he said this in Genesis 12, he said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will what? Be a blessing. He handpicked one man and said, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to exalt you and I will bless you. Why? So you can be a blessing. Your descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and all nations will hear of my generosity through you. Jesus Christ will be offered to all people. It's not about Israel, but extends to all God's people. Some people ask well, how come God favors, you know, one nation over another? He doesn't. He favors all nations. Our God wants to bless everyone. It's not like America is blessed, I guess Africa is cursed. The people in Princeton, privileged. People in Newark, oh well. What happened? I don't know. No. The point is he blesses some of us with power and wealth so that we can be a voice for the voiceless. So that we can literally spend our strength on behalf of the weak and make up for what is lacking in others. You are blessed, you are rich, you are privileged so that you can be a what? A blessing. God has provided for so many of us an abundant harvest for one reason. So you can echo his heartbeat for those who are living on the fringe. Life on the edge. Many of us were stretched we don't know what life on the edge is. We don't. Just, I, I'm the first to raise my hand. I'm not feeling bad about it. I'm just like, teach me, Lord. Stretch me. Grow my heart. Expand our heart. Lub dub. Because I trust you. And I know you're trusting me. And I want you to, to, to expand my harvest so I can, we can bless those living on the edge. Folks, that's why we're fasting. We're not fasting to raise money. But as a way to literally train our heart to beat. Lub dub. Lub dub. With the passion of God's own heart and enlarge and expand like his in generosity and beat with concern for those living on the fringe. Why has God blessed so many of us? Why does our affluence and influence tower over the rest of the world? Or as my daughter asks, why are we rich? Chasey, here's the answer. You are rich so that you can make up for what's lacking in others. You are powerful so that you can help the weak just as a mother or father helps their children. This is God's dream, Parents, is that what you tell your children? Singles, is that what you model and live out day to day? Because that's why God entrusts some of us with a huge harvest to fulfill His dream, God's dream, not just ours, and give out of the abundance to feed those on the fringe. Um, Guys, this has been God's dream. You need to understand this from the beginning of the story to the very last. From the garden onward, this is not new. And as I've had my eyes open, it's been his consistent heartbeat from literally the first pages of the Bible to the very last. Lub dub lub dub. Are you feeling me? You catching this? We all catching this? It's why we're fasting, guys, this spring for Africa. And it's why we are going to glean for our neighbors in need locally as well. So we're like, so are we buying oxen? How's that gonna work out here? We don't want to just be a blessing on the other side of the world, guys. We want to be a blessing to our neighbors who live across the street as well. And uh, this spring, our leadership team, we have been, we've been talking about this, debating it, praying through it for some time, quite honestly. And we've just been at saying, God, search us, tell us how you want us to spend ourselves this spring. And we realize, you know, our compassion, it's not enough just to have this kind of global component. It's got to have a local impact you can see and touch. It's not enough. It's not enough to, to send, a, you know, as, as thankful as I am, a, a, the pastor to Africa, then he comes back with a report, and that's awesome. In a globalized society, across the world is now across the street. Uh, here in New Jersey, on the way to work every day, for instance, I drive by the day laborers in Morristown. You guys know them, they congregate in the parking lot across from the Morristown Diner. They're immigrant families from Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and literally, you realize in New Jersey, the nations are now right at our doorstep, literally, our neighbors. Even our offices here in Morristown, on one side, just incredible, unprecedented affluence. Those those, those townhomes, those condos you see going up there, the starting is $1.1 million. Then there's our office. And then on the other side, our immigrant families stacked eight to one room. Legal immigrants stacked. And we're literally right on the scene and we're like, praise Jesus, this is exactly where we want to be. Because there's a purpose to what's going on on the right. It's to serve those on the left. And, and I'm, I'm, not even ta- I'm not even talking politics. I'm talking God's heart here. I'm talking about just compassion for people who are on the fringe here. And, and so we got to thinking, we're like, God, if we were to beat Lub-Dub, Lub-Dub, what could we do for the poor in our midst? Right here. Even the widows and the orphans. Again, that's Bible terminology that we typically don't use today. But, but what's the modern day equivalent? How about single parent families who are barely scraping by? Those who have one parent, or those who have no parents. If you're a single parent, by the way, you are my hero. My wife was raised by a single mom, and I am in your debt. Thank you. But what about single-parent families who are literally scraping by in this economy? And so as we give out of our abundance to our friends in Ethiopia, we're like, how could we give out of our, our harvest to those on the, the fringe right here in, in our neighborhoods, in Morristown, in New Brunswick, in all the towns represented by the internet campus across the world? How do we do this? And so our simple minds be turned to really hosting what I think is a 21st century version of gleaning. And is a little something we call a free market. That's not a flea market. That's not a typo. It's a free market. And you guys, you guys know what a flea market is, right? A flea market is where people bring their junk and they try to get top dollar for it. Free market is the opposite. People bring their best and give it away for, ding, free. Imagine that. To families who are living at or below the poverty line. It is a modern-day version of gleaning. So we give from the fringe, out of our abundance and overflow of what we have, useful items, stuff that will be helpful to someone who's living on the edge of of, of our community. And who's on the fringe? I mean, if you're like, well, who's on the fringe? I mean, in, in, in our area. At each campus, what we're doing is this. Liquid Church is partnering with our local social service agencies to identify the top 500 families who are living at or below the poverty line. That's somewhere in the 20,000 New Jersey annual income. Many of them are single-parent families. And what we are doing, these are guys who are struggling to get by, trying to raise a couple of kids, work two jobs, make ends meet, not a lot of margin for extras. Again, not success, we're talking about subsistence-level living. And those social service agencies are going to identify those families— Contact them and invite them to the liquid free market. And on Sunday, May 24th, that's yes, Memorial Day weekend, we are canceling services. We are literally moving from the seats to the streets to go and serve those on the fringe in our local communities. We are hosting a free market on the green in Morristown, in the center of the city, in a monument square in New Brunswick, where we did our coat giveaway, our jacket giveaway in the, in the winter. And what we're going to do is bring our best and offer it in kindness to families who are in need. And folks are going to be able to actually shop with dignity. There's no money involved. But I'm not talking like, okay, so it's like a chaotic rummage sale, like come and dump your junk and say, oh, the poor can have it. No, I'm talking dignity. Because I'm talking about what God did here. He said, leave this on the fringe. Don't go gather and throw it at them. Actually give them dignity that they can go collect that for themselves and it will be a blessing to them and they'll take it as it's from the hand of God. That's the meaning of gleaning, and this is our modern-day version of it. And some of you are like, what kind of stuff are you talking about? What can you donate? I'm going to make this real easy for you. It is very, very simple. As simple as A, B, C. Anything but clothes. Anything but clothes goes. Here is the list. Uh, We put this on our website at liquidchurch.com. We're talking about all sorts of stuff, everything from baby gear to kids' toys, sports stuff. Let me show you what I'm talking about because Colleen and I already started doing this kind of gathering for our modern-day gleaning. And what we found is in our our garage, we have this thing. This is a, a McLaren baby stroller. Pretty sweet, right? If you're not a parent, this is a big deal. This is like a pretty sweet ride. This one is like, you know, extra light. Of course, we have to get the extra light version, you know, in case we ever go jogging. And, uh, you know, and so this is sweet. And so this is now gathering, you know, cobwebs and dust balls. And we're like, well, maybe we can give it to a, you know, friend who needs it. But no, they want the latest version of everything. So we're like, well, what are we going to do with this? That's what giving out of your abundance to, to those that need means. You take what's, a, what's just a throwaway to you, but it's a luxury to them. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. You know what this is going to do? This is going to save a single mom $150. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. But it's out of abundance. God gave us. Chase started getting involved. She's like, so why are you giving away our stroller? And we started telling her, that's the heart of God. She said, that's why we're rich, we, to make up for what's lacking in others. And she's like, she comes upstairs and she goes, I have something. And she opened up her little people's playhouse. Now, it's not Polly Pockets. She's still holding on to that. But she gave away the little people. She says, I got all sorts of stuff I don't play with anymore, daddy. I was like, that's the idea. And so she starts bringing up her stuff, and we start cleaning it up. We start windexing everything. You know, that's kind of how we clean our house. We windex it. But that's the idea is to start bringing all of your stuff. And we're talking about everything from, uh, we've got strollers, bouncy seats, pack and plays. We'll be accepting baby supplies, diapers, wipes, bottles, pacifiers, not used. Uh the kind of stuff, again, most of the stuff is lightly used. And again, the heart of this is to really help those who are living on the fringe the most vulnerable the way that the Old Testament did y- young women and, the, and their children. So if we can help single moms and dads with young kids, that's the heartbeat behind this. We're going to be accepting toys. We're talking about like balls, games, dolls, action figures, no costumes. If you can wear it, don't bring it. Books, blocks, CDs, DVDs. Don't bring, like, stuff to animals, okay? We don't want stuff that, like, bugs can get in. But this is a great way to get your kids involved, guys, and teach them about the heart of God. Tell them about it. What, mommy, why, Daddy, why are we doing this? Oh, here's why, Chasey. Our church follows the Bible, and this Bible is the story of a God who is crazy about people, who loves them. And he's just, from the beginning of time, been shouting, I want to give to you. And I want people who are going to join me in living out extravagant generosity to those who are on the need, because that's how my kingdom's going to come. That's how they're going to understand who Jesus Christ is, the ultimate sacrifice. I'm going to give my son the best to those who are poor. That's the heart guide. That's the meaning of gleaning. We have a big list here. We're talking about sports stuff, and you can bring adults and kids stuff, rollerblades, helmets, gloves. Bring your best. That's the idea. So in other words, don't bring stuff that's broken. So if like you're going to give a bike, go get it tuned up, Go get it shined up, get, you know, tires inflated on it. Don't bring stuff that's trash. Bring stuff that's lightly used that's really going to help somebody on the fringe. There's stuff here for adults. We have small appliances and electronics. That kind of made us nervous because we're like, we don't need another Epson printer missing the cord. Okay, people? Don't do that. I'm talking about stuff to be helpful. Coffee makers, clock radios, phone sets. Uh, They got listed on here, Game Boys, PlayStation 2. If you have that, just see me personally. I'll take that off your hands. Uh, small furniture, the rule is this, one person has to be able to carry whatever you're bringing. So if you're like, oh, we got this huge breakfront that our Aunt Gladys donated to us. So if you can carry that thing in, you bring it. But unless you can carry it, so we're talking about like small desks for kids and, and chairs, maybe little bookcases, okay, that's the idea. If you have a question about what you can donate, remember, simple as A, B, C, anything but what? But clothes, that's right, no clothes. I know some of you are like, oh man, I have the Speedo, I don't fit anymore. You keep that, okay? That's yours. Take it. There's plenty of other stuff to give. You get the idea? You feel in me. You feel in the heart behind this. It's a free market. That's the meaning of gleaning. Can we say it together? That's the meaning of gleaning. That's it, people. We give out of our abundance to those who are living on the fringe. And we're going to pull out all the stops for this. I'll give you the details next week. In fact, you can sign up to serve beginning next week. But for now, just mark your calendar. The date is Sunday, May 24th. That's Memorial Day weekend, and we are canceling services. Do not come to church. We're getting out of the seats, into the streets, taking church to the people, and serving the urban poor. In the name of Christ, in the love of God. That's the idea. We're a local church. Global influence and local compassion. Now your campus pastors are going to be sharing details with you over the next couple weeks about where to drop off your stuff and all that. They do have collection times apparently starting Thursday. Just so you know, you can actually see here, both liquid offices in Morristown and New Brunswick this Thursday from 12 to 7 p.m. And then you can see the next two Sundays, you just bring your stuff right here to church. Bring it to the Hyatt. We're going to collect it. We rented one of those pods, you know, they can form it and, and put that, all the stuff in there. And we're going to transport those to the Green and Monument Square. Or you can just bring it the day of the free market. But that's the whole idea, guys. It's all on liquidchurch.com. The list of what you can bring, the drop-off times, all the details. But I hope you catch the spear. Are you catching this? We did this a few years back and I was so moved by this one family in our church because they actually donated this crib, and it was a really, really nice crib. And when they brought it to the free market, um, another family had donated one of those rocking chairs, like those, those chairs, nursing chairs, right? And they're like, "Wow, we almost have a complete set. This could really bless a single mom, you know, who has newborns." And then they actually said, "This, yeah, but you know, it's missing a changing table, a really nice changing table." And they went out together and bought it together. lub dub. That's the heart. That's the heartbeat of God. I want our church to beat with God's heartbeat himself. That's the meaning of gleaning. So our church is leaving the building to kick off our summer because we realize we're blessed. Why? In order to be a blessing. That's the idea. Amen? We are not doing this out of guilt or to feel good about ourselves, but to echo God's heartbeat and fulfill his dream. Just remember this, guys. Remember this. You are rich so that you can make up for what is lacking for others. You are powerful so that you can help the weak just as a mother or father helps their children. This is God's dream. I am so excited about what God's going to do. Guys, I honestly am. I, I hope you can feel it because I feel like when God's spirit begins stirring the hearts of his people, when we begin beating lub-dub with the rhythm of his own heartbeat, well, that's, guys, that's, that's when the kingdom comes. That's when God's will is done. That is when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you. Everything we have is from your hand, Jesus. And we open it up because we want to model you, Daddy. You are a giver. For God so loved the world, our Father so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. We want to follow you, Jesus. You're our Lord, you're our Savior. We want to see your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, do something amazing this spring. Do it for our brothers and sisters across the world in Africa. Do it here locally in our towns, in Morristown, in the city of New Brunswick. Father, do it through the Internet Campus, Lord, and we ask that you unleash a wave of extravagant generosity in the name of Christ that wakes people up to the richness and the glory of you, God. Not us, but to your name be the glory. We ask that you'd bless this in all that our hands will give this week and for the next three weeks. And we ask that you use it to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.